So good morning to you all once again, and grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning is Christmas Eve, and we will be gathering once again this evening to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior. I hope you will come out and celebrate with us. We lit our fourth Advent candle this morning, which is the angel candle, or the candle of love. And we're reminded that everything that we celebrate at Christmas flows out of the love that God has for us. The lady shared with us from 1 John this morning, and this is the message that we heard. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. What we celebrate during the Advent season is an outpouring of the love of God for his creation. And in our world today, we can see many different outpourings of love for many different reasons. One of these came back on Wednesday, December 5th, 2018, when many dignitaries and world leaders and movie stars, even professional athletes and singers, all gathered together to pay their final respects to President George H.W. Bush, who had gone home to be with the Lord on Friday, November 30th of that year. His service was also attended by, back then, the current president, Donald Trump, and four former presidents, Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and Jimmy Carter. These were among the faithful, the faithful who had come out to show respect and admiration for a man who had been the vice president of the United States for eight years under Ronald Reagan, and then served as the president of the United States from 18, I'm sorry, 1989 to 1993. So much ceremony, so much attention, so much praise, so much honor and respect for a former president of the United States. But when his maker, when our maker, stepped down from heaven, it was a little different story, wasn't it? There was a newlywed couple there, some barnyard animals, some shepherds, who came to adore him and pay him respect. And yet our hymn for today that we're going to look at calls for all the faithful to come and adore the one who came to save them from their sins. We're going to look this morning at the Christmas carol, O Come All Ye Faithful. For those who are visiting with us, we've been doing a series looking at some of these Christmas carols and seeing what they have to teach us about our faith and about the God that we worship. <coughs> To begin with this morning, I would ask that you would please take your Bibles and turn with me to a passage that you're going to wonder, this doesn't seem like a Christmas passage. But I'm inviting you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Isaiah in chapter 55, and I'm inviting you to please stand with me in honor of reading God's word this morning. This morning I'll be reading Isaiah 55, just verses 1 through 7. If you're following along in the Pew Bibles, it begins on page 524. Isaiah 55, <coughs> come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest affair. 
Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander of the peoples. Surely you will not summon nations you know not. I'm sur- surely you will summon nations you know not. And nations that do not know you will hasten to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. For he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. Lord, these are the words (coughs) spoken by your prophet Isaiah so many years ago, but they are apropos for us today as well. As we look into your word today, Lord, please guide my words, guide our hearts. Lord, may your Holy Spirit lead us through this message this morning. And as always, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together would be pleasing and acceptable to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So in this passage, the prophet Isaiah extends an invitation for all who are thirsty to come to God. To seek the Lord while he may be found and that God would have mercy on them and would pardon their sin. Our carol for today also extends an invitation for all the faithful to come joyfully, triumphantly to behold the king. Also the one who has mercy on us and who freely pardons our sins through faith in him. We sang this hymn just a little bit ago. Thank you again, Steve, for leading us like a choir. That was fun. But I'm going to have the words up here on the screen because we only sang three verses this morning. And in the original writing of this this hymn, this carol, there were seven verses. So we're going to look at all seven verses this morning. The original title of this hymn was Adeste Fideles Laiti Triumphantes. That's in the Latin. And it was written by our Roman Catholic layman named John Francis Wade. And it was written during a time of persecution against the Roman Catholic Church. This man, John Wade, took a job as a music teacher in the famous Roman Catholic College and Ministry Center in Douai, France. He also became very famous for making very neat and accurate copies of musical scores. You see, in the, in the mid-1700s, you couldn't just go down to the Xerox machine and copy things off. They didn't have those kind of things back then. Everything had to be meticulously copied by hand. And it required precision and neatness, and Wade's work was said to be just exquisite. In fact, when he passed away in 1768, his obituary honored him for his beautiful manuscripts that adorned chapels and homes. They were actually considered to be works of art. In 1745, Wade produced a copy of a Latin Christmas carol that began with that phrase, Adeste Fidelis. At one time, historians believed that he had simply discovered an ancient hymn written by someone else, but most scholars today believe that he actually composed the lyrics himself. This man died in France, but when the persecution ended and the English Catholics began returning to England, they brought Wade's Christmas carol back to England with them. 
And one day an Anglican minister named Frederick Oakley came across Wade's Latin Christmas carol. He was deeply moved by the words that he read, so he translated it. He translated the first line, Adeste Fideles, Lighti Triumphantes, as, Ye faithful, approach ye. And that didn't seem to catch on. Several years later, he tried again. By this time, he had become a Catholic priest, and his grasp of Latin had improved. So he translated that phrase, Adeste Fideles, Laeti Triumphantes, into the more vigorous and well-known, O come, all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. Now, sometimes things can get lost in translation. This hymn is actually filled with imperatives or commands. There are 20 of them to be exact. 16 of them use the word venite in the Latin. Venite means come, or more accurately, you come. You being in the familiar use of the pronoun that's usually translated as ye in the Old English. Some of you may not know this, but ye in the Old English was the familiar personal pronoun, kind of like to in Spanish or French, for those of you who know those languages. The pronoun you in the Old English was the more polite or formal pronoun like usted in Spanish or vous in French. We also see that there are three commands to sing and one command to behold. Then there are also what are known as the soft imperatives. So Wade commands or more accurately invites us to adore Christ 12 times. In fact, the phrase starts with a double imperative. In the Latin, venite adoremus. Remember, venite means you come, you in the personal. But then it's followed by the word adoremus, which means we adore. I hope you're hearing that. You, my friend, come and join with us. The singular, joining the plural. You, my friend, come and adore Christ the Lord with us. I think that's a beautiful use of language to convey the meaning of this hymn. O come all ye faithful and use this beautiful poetic language to call us, to invite us, to join with the angels and the shepherds that night in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago. It calls us to imagine what would have been like to be one of those shepherds out tending his flocks on that hillside at night and have an angel suddenly appear to you, announcing the birth of the long-awaited Messiah. O come, all ye faithful. See how the shepherds, summoned to his cradle, leaving their flocks, draw nigh to gaze upon the Christ child. That's one of the verses that's later on, one that we don't sing in our hymn book. Again, in our hymn book, we only have three verses. But there are actually seven to this carol, so I'm going to put each verse up on the screen so you can see the words that were written. This first verse we're all familiar with. We sing it every year, right? O come all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him. Who? Born the king of angels. Who is the hymn writer calling to come together and worship and adore the newborn king? He's calling the faithful. See, the call of Wade's hymn is actually not a call for sinners to repent and come to Christ, but it's a call for believers to come together and to worship Jesus. 
And I want you to hear once again the call for the individual personal you to become part of the faithful us. O come, you who are faithful. O come, you who are joyful. O come, you who are triumphant. Come join with us who are faithful. Come join with us who are joyful. Come join with us who are triumphant. Come join us as we faithfully adore God. Come join with us who are joyful as we adore God. Come join with us who are triumphant because Jesus Christ died for our sins and gave us the victory over sin and death. Come join us as we behold the one who was born to be our king. What we sing in the second verse is actually the third verse. I'm going to put the original second verse as it was written up on the screen. True God of true God, light from light eternal, lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb. Son of the Father, begotten, not created. For those of you who are familiar with it, in this verse, Francis Wade quotes from the Nicene Creed, almost verbatim, where it says this about Jesus Christ. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. The Nicene Creed was written early in the 4th century AD. And if you know your church history, the church had faced some intense persecution in its early years, first from the Jews, then from the Romans. This persecution had gone on for some 250 years. The persecutions ended in 311 AD, when the Roman Emperor Galerius issued his famous Edict of Toleration. Kind of sounds like something for today, doesn't it? But what's used in a totally different meaning today. Edict of Toleration, this declaration ended the official persecution of Christians. So for the first time in centuries, Christians were able to unite across the entire empire instead of having to meet in small groups secretly, kind of scattered throughout the region. And you see, when they were meeting secretly, problems came up when they were isolated. New and conflicting ideas and theologies came up concerning the nature of Jesus Christ and his relationship with God. Was Jesus God, they asked. Was he fully divine? Was he just a man, an ordinary man that the Holy Spirit just chose to inhabit? What sort of being was Jesus, they were asking. What was his nature? And until that persecution ended, Christians and the church simply had no way to gather together and wrestle with these issues. But then the Roman Emperor Constantine, who was a Christian himself, ordered the church leaders to gather together in the city of Nicaea to resolve the issue of Jesus' nature and his relationship to the Trinity. And in 325 AD, they came up with what we now have as the Nicene Creed. We don't, re we don't recite that one here. We recite the Apostles' Creed all the time. But the Nicene Creed is, is, is very good. It's very biblical. And I would actually like for us to read part of it together this morning. The part that speaks of Jesus' nature and his relationship to the Father. You can remain seated for this, but the words are on the screen. This is part of the Nicene Creed that talks about Jesus. Let's recite this together. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made for us, 
And for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. I think Wade did a beautiful job of encapsulating our core belief about Jesus' nature and his relationship to the Trinity in the second verse of this hymn. And it tells us why we come and adore him, because this baby in the manger is truly God incarnate, God come in human flesh. The third verse is actually our second verse in the hymn book. We all know it. It says, Sing choirs of angels. Sing in exultation, O sing all ye bright hosts of heaven above. Glory to God, glory in the highest. Now we've looked at this aspect of the Christmas story already a number of times this year. Of course, Wade here is referring to that scene in Luke chapter 2, where the sky opened up and the heavenly chorus sang out, Glory to God in the highest. And why were the heavenly hosts singing glory to God? They were singing because God has now brought forth his son into the world so his plan of salvation could be fulfilled. They sing glory to God because he is the only one who is worthy of all of our glory, honor, and praise. The angel gave this message to the shepherds so that they would know without a doubt that what had happened this night was from God Almighty and was to be to his glory and to his glory alone. The fourth verse is another one that's not in our hymnal, but the words are up on your screen. See how the shepherds, summoned to his cradle, leaving their flocks, draw nigh to gaze. We too will thither bend our joyful footsteps. In Luke chapter 2, once again, we see the shepherds receive the invitation from the angel to go and see for themselves what God has done. The angel even gave them a sign, didn't he? He said that they would find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. At the beginning of the carol, Wade invited all the faithful to come to Bethlehem and see this newborn king. But the shepherds, the shepherds would not have been seen as belonging to the faithful back then. You see, in the eyes of the religious folk in Bethlehem, and really all of Israel for that matter, The shepherds would not have been called as belonging to the faithful. They would have been seen more as the faithless. The shepherds were part of the the great unwashed. They were the agricultural laborers who did all the manual labor of looking after the sheep day in and day out. It was nearly impossible for them to observe all the rules and the traditions regarding all the, the ritual cleanliness. The nature of their work made it impossible for them to observe the Sabbath and all the religious holidays. After all, sheep don't tend to look at each other and say, you know, looking at the calendar, today's the Sabbath. We should probably just not wander off and cause any problems for the shepherds today. No, they don't do that. No, those sheep have to be protected and cared for and fed 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And that's exactly what the shepherds were doing when the heavens opened up and the angel appeared to them. Wade says that we too will thither... Don't you love the old English? We too as well will go. We will bend our joyful footsteps to go and see the newborn king, the one born to take away our sin. Again, it's the call of the faithful to come and see this one who was born of the virgin and laid in the manger. 
It's an invitation to come before the Christ child and worship him. Just as Isaiah invited all who were thirsty to come to the waters and drink, so we too are invited to come to the one who is the living water, the one who can quench our thirst, our thirst for meaning, our thirst for purpose, our thirst for forgiveness, our our thirst for God. The next verse is also not in our hymn books, but it talks about that, that visit of the Magi from the east. The words are on the screen. Lo, star-led chieftains, magi Christ-adoring, offer him incense, gold, and myrrh. We, to the Christ child, bring our hearts oblations. The magi from the east came. Going to burst some people's bubbles here, but probably not on the night of Jesus' birth. They probably came a little bit later on when Joseph and Mary had settled into a house. That's what Matthew 2 tells us in verses 10 and 11. It says, when they saw the star over the house, they were, on, they were overjoyed on coming to the house. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. I'm not going to take a whole lot of time to look at this verse, because we're going to explore this visit from the Magi next Sunday morning in more detail. But Wade stayed true to the scriptures by mentioning that they came to worship him and adore him, and that they brought him gifts of incense gold, and myrrh. But really, the emphasis in this verse is in the last two lines. Just as the Magi came, we too are called to come and offer to the Christ child our hearts oblations. Do you know what the word oblation means? Most people are shaking their heads no. The dictionary defines it this way. The offering to God of the elements of bread and wine in the Eucharist or the act of making an offering to God. So if Wade was referring to the first definition, then he was calling those who were singing, the faithful, to then see the finished work of Christ on the cross in this little baby that the Magi had come to adore. And if he was referring to the second, more general definition, he's telling the one who's singing, the faithful, to offer up himself or herself as an offering to God, which is just what the Apostle Paul tells us to do in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So just as the Magi brought meaningful gifts to the Christ child, so we too are called to give ourselves as an offering, a sacrificial gift to Christ, the one who came to save us. The next verse is also not in our hymnals, but the words are up on the screen. Child for us sinners, poor and in the manger, we would embrace thee with love and awe. Who would not love thee, loving us so dearly? The first line tells us exactly why this child had to come into the world. It is because we are stuck in our sin and we have no way to save ourselves from it. Christ came for sinners. Again, the message that Joseph received from the angel in Matthew 1 that we read together earlier was that he was to give the child the name Jesus. Why? Because he would save his people from their sins. Friends, if there was no sin in the world, then Jesus would not have had to come. But he did come. And he came to us poor sinners who needed to be saved. And Wade once again tells us who it is that he's writing about when he mentions that the child is poor and in the manger. That phrase 
can only speak of one person, and that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And again, the emphasis in this verse comes in the closing lines. The lines that say, we would embrace thee with love and all. Who would not love thee, loving us so dearly? We hear those words, and and we ask the same question. Lord, who wouldn't love you, knowing that because you loved us, you left your rightful place in heaven to come to this sin-filled world, And then you gave of yourself in love to suffer and die for us in such a cruel way so that we could have our sins forgiven and have the promise of an eternity in your presence. Who, understanding that message, wouldn't love thee? But that's where the problem comes in. Because there are so many in our world who don't understand the true message of Christmas. Paul tells us that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. They need the Holy Spirit to enlighten them, to open their eyes, so that they can see the reason why Jesus came to earth. But those of us who know, those of us who understand, those of us who have received the grace of God through faith, we love the Lord because he first loved us, as we were told in 1 John 4.19. And that's what Wade was telling us in this verse. The final verse that Wade wrote is also the closing verse in our hymnal. It simply says, Yea, Lord, we greet thee. Born this happy morning, Jesus, to thee be all glory given. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. So just as the angels and then the shepherds greeted the newborn baby lying in the manger, so we too are called to greet him and give glory to God for the greatest gift that's ever been given to us. I'm assuming everyone here, either sometime today, tonight, tomorrow, are going to go home and open some gifts of some kind, right? Everybody here is probably going to do that. And you might have some wonderful gifts, but the greatest gift any of you will ever, ever receive was Jesus come to this earth, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in that manger, come for you, come for you. Wade uses a phrase here. He says, born this happy morning. If you remember from last week, we talked about the difference between being happy and and being joyful. That happiness depends on our circumstances and that our circumstances can change at any moment. But that our joy is based on our faith in Jesus Christ. But I think Wade actually uses the word happy here in a very proper way. It was And it is a happy morning, and it will remain a happy morning, because the message will never change. The reason that Christ came to earth will never change. So we can be both happy and joyful that Jesus came to save us from our sins. Wade calls this baby in the manger, word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. This comes straight out of the first chapter of John's Gospel, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then if we skip down to verse 14, it says this, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is... The message of the incarnation. 
the Word of God, Jesus Christ, God's Holy Son, the second person of the Trinity, became a man, was born into a human body, being conceived in Mary through the work of the Holy Spirit. And friends, that is what we celebrate at Christmas. The last part of our passage from Isaiah 55 says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him to our God for he will freely pardon. This is why I chose that passage in Isaiah to go along with this hymn for this morning. Isaiah began with the invitation to come just as the carol does. Isaiah ends with the exhortation to seek the Lord while he may be found, while there's still time, and that if anyone seeks the Lord, he will find mercy and pardon. There's that short chorus at the end of each verse that that Steve led us in that says, O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. That O come, let us adore him part is repeated three times. And we've seen before that when something is repeated, it gives more emphasis to whatever is being said. Friends, when we consider, when we wonder about what it means to us that Jesus came to earth, and we meditate on why he came, we can't help but do as that chorus says and adore him because he is Christ the Lord, come to save his people from their sins, as we talked about last week, so he can then reign in our lives. So this Christmas season, and if you come back tonight, come with the attitude of we're coming to adore him. Indeed, come let us adore him. Christ the Lord, that is what we celebrate at Christmas. Please pray with me. Oh, Lord, we thank you once again just for fulfilling the promise from the prophets, coming as the prophets foretold, coming in such a special way, growing up, becoming a man, calling men to follow you, Lord, performing miracles, healings, teaching so many, teaching us, Lord, we have your words recorded for us in your holy word, and then going to the cross and dying for our sins. But you didn't remain in the grave. No, you conquered death. You rose from the grave to give us victory over death in the grave as well. And then you ascended into heaven where you are now seated at the right hand of your Father. Thank you for coming to this earth. Thank you for the forgiveness we have in you. Thank you that we have the promise that one day we will be with you once again. Help us, Lord, to live in that hope and in that faith each and every day. And as we spend time with our loved ones this Christmas day, tomorrow, Christmas Eve, tonight, Lord, may you be blessed, may you be honored, may you be glorified through all that we do as we focus on you. Thank you, in Jesus' name I pray, amen.